Hello and welcome back to Comics Over Time, where we shine a spotlight on classic comic stories and the TV shows or big screen blockbusters they inspired. We'll look to connect the dots from the comic book panels to the moving pictures, examining where the adaptation followed the comics closely and where they decided to go their own way. And when we're done, we'll try and answer that most important of questions, who told the tale best? My name is Dwayne, and with me, my good buddy, Dan. Dan, how's it going? Excellent. Looking forward to another night of talking comic books. Going to be fun. Forward to hanging out with you and all the folks, talking about the one last movie that we need to talk about, or at least the comics leading up to that movie. No, no. the one last movie we need to talk about before we get to Marvel's long-awaited endgame. Uh, so here we are today, re-watching Brie Larson, Samuel L. Jackson, in 2019's Captain Marvel. Yes, this was... I, I have not watched this since I saw it in theaters, so this was a, a really interesting week to go back, now having some context of some comic books from what we talked about last week. There's a lot to dig into. Let's quick jump and talk a, a little bit of news, and... Let's talk about the Marvels because Captain America or Captain Marvel's kind of sequel, the first movie after Endgame that we're going to see prominently feature Captain Marvel, Brie Larson's Carol Danvers, is coming out in just a few weeks. In fact, we're going to be talking about it on the show uh, starting in about two weeks after we get done with Endgame. And there's been a lot of news that has come out this week. There's been a lot of trailers. There's some posters that have come out. But there's also been some things about, like, the plot and different things like that. We're not going to talk about anything like that. Spoilers that are appearing on the internet. But there's also been some discussion about how they think the movie's going to do. The long-range box office for Marvel Studios The Marvels. And... It's really interesting to see because basically it seems like everybody seems to be suggesting like the big headlines that I'm seeing are basically the Marvels is going to be a flop. And it's disappointing that we're still like barely less than a month from when the movie is going to be coming out. And yes, there's definitely some factors that go into whether or not the movie is going to do well or not do well. And, you know, there's going to be an article in the show notes talking about some of those pros and cons. But ultimately, the suggestion is that the Captain Marvel sequel is going to track or is tracking to make between 50 and 75 million dollars during its opening weekend domestically which is about half of what it did uh, during its entire or during its week for opening weekend run back in 2019, the movie we're going to be talking about today. And that seems like a lot of money for a flop. Uh, yeah, I don't know, I, have you looked at some most, of this stuff? Most movies would be 100% happy with pulling in 50 to 75. And again, that's domestic. So yeah, that's just likely domestic. there's going to be a substantial amount coming in from elsewhere. That said, you know, the Marvel movies are expensive to make. They do have a certain expectation at this point because of the fact that two or three of them have grossed billions of dollars 
One of the other interesting things, though, is that one of the movies by Marvel that grossed over a billion dollars is the original Captain Marvel. Yes. So I think that, you know, the you said at some point, I think in the show notes, that there were some people saying that, that some people were saying that the original film was a flop or that they think the new one's going to be. There were some people spec are talking during its initial early release or during the release early on during its initial release of the first film, that that was going to be a flop, that it wasn't going oh, to sure. generate over a billion dollars like it ended up doing. There were a very, there were a lot of people as usual on the internet who were really hoping that it would do bad yes. because that would fit the narrative that they wanted to put out there, but it did extremely well. And even in terms of films that are like female superhero films, it made significantly more in both net and gross than Wonder Woman from DC did. And so it was a really successful first film and hopefully it will do well. But yeah, the headwinds that are against almost any movie that isn't Barbie right now are significant. You know, the fact that you've got an actor's strike the writer's strike just got over a little while ago. So that means there's no real promotion going on from any of the actors in, right. uh, as these are coming out. Obviously, comic book movies, just as a genre right now, are a bit stigmatized. You know, you look at the fact that Blue Beetle was not a bad movie, came out just a little bit ago, absolutely yeah. cratered at the box office. It did nothing at the box office. Yeah. I don't believe that the... The other recent Marvel movies have done what they'd hope. So it, yeah, it probably of, will be of, tough. Short of Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3, that was the only one that seems to have done well. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about how Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania didn't do well. You mentioned Blue Beetle. Obviously, we have some DC movies. Uh, Shazam uh, <laughs> did not do very well yeah. either so there's lots of things i also think that like we need to adjust our expectations as to what we think a movie should bring in nowadays because post pandemic we we aren't seeing the kind of numbers we were seeing pre-pandemic yet and, and short of barbie we and 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 kind of oppenheimer as well but i think those are that's a special case we haven't seen a marvel movie do a Marvel movie level of success post pandemic and the expectation that they're just going to roll out a billion dollar movie every time at the, the MCU creates a new movie or Marvel studios creates a new movie, I think is unrealistic. And if you look at what the, what success was early on for Marvel studios, I think is a, a you know, this is more in line with that. And it's just the fact that they had these really big movies in, you know, 2018 and 2019 and, and even 2017, I guess, that that created these huge numbers. And now everyone expects that they should do those numbers plus because of inflation and everything like that. And it just that's not reality, I don't think, anymore. Yeah. You know, potentially a good comp might even be Black Panther which I believe the original one did something like 1.3 billion and Wakanda forever came in closer at 
like 900 million. So if the Marvels is able to come into that make two-thirds of what the original movie did territory, I think that would be pretty good these days. And, And in fact, I would bet even, did the third Guardians make as much as the earlier ones or was it lower as well? I think that it, if I remember correctly, the third one was ended up when its theatrical release ended, it was less than where the second one was. Yeah, it looks like it because the second one was nine hundred million, and the it was it was close, like eight hundred and seventy yeah, to eight hundred and forty or something. But but even there, in a in a normal environment, a beloved franchise getting its final installment you would think would get a bump up, not a bump down. So right. that's, that is the environment we're living in. Right. Definitely something that we should, we should keep watching as, as we get closer and closer to that movie release. Let's jump over and look at Marvel Unlimited this week. There is one new book that is available. X-Men Days of Future Past Doomsday number one is available. Uh, If that isn't something that sounds of interest to you, other characters that are getting new books released this week include Loki, Groot, Adam Warlock, Rogan Gambit, Red Goblin, Scarlet Witch, Miles Morales, and Moon Knight's big number 25 issue, their enormous issue, uh, is now available on Marvel Unlimited as well. And we, we definitely are going to be talking about that at some point. Yes. Which, which does not cost you $10 if you get it on Marvel Unlimited. You just get to read it like any other comic. You're right. So, Sai. So also, just as another note on the Marvels, uh, I did put a link in that be in the show notes. If you wanted to go and take a look at the three Captain Marvels, Ms. Marvel and then Captain uh, Marvel, Carol Danvers, or Monica uh, Rambeau, Marvel Unlimited does have a number of books they're recommending that you can go out and take a look at and then read those if you have a subscription. All right, that sounds good. How about a recommendation for this week? Sure. So, yeah, we're going to, if we're going to be taking a look at this one, there's going to be people, people saying unpleasant things and the like occasionally. I think that there's a book out there that did a really nice job of talking about some of this. And that is, uh, it's called Panthers, Hulks, and Ironhearts, Marvel Diversity, and the 21st Century Superhero. It's by a guy named Jeffrey A. Brown. He's been writing about superheroes for a long time. Really a a decorated uh, sort of comic book historian. Specifically, Chapter 8 is all about Kamala Khan. But Brown really does a great job through the whole book of working through some of the topics that led to Captain Marvel getting sort of this polarized response that we saw from fans. So it's interesting, though. So if, you, uh, if you're interested in that history and more recent history, I guess, of the, the comic book industry, specifically about Marvel, that's a good book. All right, that sounds good. There will be a, a link to it on Rutgers University Press, which is the original publisher for it, on in yep. the show notes. All right, and with that, that is going to do it for our news. Let's this and with that, that's gonna do it for the news. This is your spoiler warning for Captain Marvel, a movie from 2019.
Uh, so it's been around for a little bit, probably doesn't deserve it. Uh, the statute of limitations is probably expired, but we're going to be talking in great detail about the, the movie, the plot, the characters, the actors and actresses involved. And if you have not seen it recently and do not want anything spoiled or want to have a fresher remembrance of the film before joining in our discussion, please stop the recording now. Okay. Spoiler warning accomplished. We ready to talk about a movie, per se? Yes. The film facts for Captain Marvel. The tagline for the film, discover what makes a hero. And it is her with the O in a in uh, parentheses. So definitely focusing on the her in, in this. I like that. The movie was released March 8th, 2019. It has a runtime of 123 minutes. Its box office worldwide take was just over $700 million. Domestically, it brought in just over $426 million. All of this on a budget of $160 million. The IMDb rating for this film is 6.8 out of 10. The movie stars Brie Larson, Samuel L. Jackson, Ben Mendelsohn, Jude Law, Jaiman Hansu, Gemma Khan, Lashana Lynch, Akira Akbar, Lee Pace, Clark Gregg, and Annette Benning. The movie was directed by Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck with a screenplay by Anna Bowden, Ryan Fleck, and Geneva Robertson Dwarit. Those are your film facts. For Captain Marvel. Excellent. Very cool. So yes, when you uh, almost 10 times your budget, you've probably done all right. All right, Dan, can you give us a recap of what happened during the Captain Marvel film? Yeah, we're going to go with the, the relatively quick recap here. See if we can get through this. Captain Marvel actually starts with a spectacular uh, title screen that honors Stan Lee, which probably had most of us crying before we actually started the movie, because that was not that long after Stan had died. And then the movie opens on Hala, where a Kree warrior called Veers is having trouble sleeping. Soon enough, a battle with the Skrulls distracts her, and all's going well until she's knocked out, captured, and taken to a Skrull ship, where her mind is probed for secrets. The Skrulls are looking for a woman named Wendy Lawson, who they believe is the key to obtaining a faster-than-light engine. Veers escapes from them through the use of violence and takes an escape pod which deposits her on Earth, directly in the middle of a blockbuster video store. This is the first of many visual reminders that the movie is set 20 years in the past, in the mid-90s. Veers contacts her Kree commanding officer Yonrog through the use of parts found at a radio shack and then realizes that she's not the only alien on the planet. She takes off after a scroll that tries to kill her and is followed on her pursuit by Nick Fury. Fury is soon made to believe Veer's story of aliens and super engines and takes her to a secret facility where they find out that Veer's is actually Carol Danvers. Not a Cree, but an Earth pilot who worked with Lawson and disappeared six years ago. They travel to Louisiana to find a friend of Danvers who they hope can explain things and are joined by a group of Skrulls led by Talos. Talos and Danvers' returning memories convince Carol to help the Skrulls, and they take a modified jet into outer space, 
where they find Marvel's lab. Carol had actually been abducted by the Skrulls after the explosion of a faster-than-light engine prototype by Marvel, which resulted in her powers, powers that the Kree said they gave her, but in actual fact, they were simply restraining in an effort to control her. Carol, Fury, and the Skrulls mount a battle against the forces of the Kree. A weird cat helps out, and we find that the faster-than-light engine was powered by the Tesseract. Carol ends up taking out a number of very large Kree cruisers as Ronan shows up and attempts to destroy Earth. The Kree leave, Danvers kicks Yonrog's butt, and Fury gets the Tesseract in the after scene. So, there we go. That is a very quick summation of everything that happens in Captain Marvel. That I I applaud your restraint on uh, on being so succinct as far as everything that happened. But there there's a lot of there's a lot of conversing and there's also a lot of punching. I took out much of the conversing and punching and just went with the the key plot points we needed. So there there, there you go. go. All right, let's start with, I, I want to talk about this as being, this is obviously an origin story, but it is an origin story to me with a bit of a twist to it. And I actually really liked the twist because I think it made for a rather interesting story. And and the, the twist I'm talking about is we get the origin, but we don't get the origin until about two-thirds of the way through the film. We don't find out exactly how Carol Danvers ends up getting her powers. She has her powers when this movie starts, and she is on Hala in the Cree homeworld when the movie starts, which uh, this is, I think, part of the twist that I think is interesting. It's a deviation from what we were seeing last week in the comics. They... I don't believe ever kidnapped her and brought her to Hala and pretended she was not, you know, that, that, that she was not human, that she was Cree, all this sort of thing. And I also liked or thought it was really interesting the way they basically, because they did this, they could then play the scrolls as being this evil race of warriors that is trying to take down the Kree when it when in fact it's it's basically the inverse right it's it's basically in all the comics it is the Kree that are that are you know waging war and 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 going after kind of the scrolls and we don't find out until we get that reveal of the uh, of the origin story the explosion and everything and how Carol Danvers got the powers that that we see that no, it's it's the scrolls are kind of running for their life from the Kree. Mm-hmm. And and it's the Kree that are that are kind of the the ones that are bad and 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 being mean about it, I guess. Yeah, and this is interesting because this is a twist not just for the audience, but for comic fans. Because no. This movie takes sides in the Kree Skull War in a way that comics normally don't, because both the Kree and the Skrulls are dicks, and we hate them, right? They're all yes. they're all awful. Ronan's awful, and the Super Skrull is awful, and that that entire sort of galactic war is a pox upon that entire part of the galaxy. 
So because of that, it's interesting that they've now turned the scrolls into essentially a refugee population and given them sort of a, we just want to get out of here and get a new home. Yeah. I think we'll talk in a, you know, maybe at some point about how this is a very different look at the scrolls than what we get a couple of years later now in secret invasion too. Yeah, but definitely, but yeah, I, I mean, I think it, it's interesting because it, you've got a, a story where, you know, and Fury even talks about it. He's like, you know, I, war is the same everywhere. I know a rogue soldier when I see one. Right. And this is, yeah. this is a woman who's started to question not only who she is, but what she's fighting for. And then, as she's going along, she's seeing that some of the stuff that she's been told just doesn't add up. And once it does, it starts just opening up new and, you know, more and more mysteries for her. Yeah. The other, the other thing about this origin story that I think is really kind of cool and, and also a little weird too, is this sort of acts as like the origin story of Nick Fury and Agent Coulson and Ronan and Korath and some some of these other characters that we've seen, like Fury and Coulson, we've seen a lot up until this point, right? This is like the 21st film that's been released by Marvel Studios. And we're, we see a very young Nick Fury and, you know, de-aging aside we actually see like a up-and-coming shield agent uh in in nick fury and 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 agent colson and colson's the new guy as he mentions and like we're we're seeing how they were way back in the 90s and and it's like wow this is this is really interesting because these are characters that we know and we love and we think we know them because of how we've seen them grow across all these movies, but there was more growing that had to happen even before, you know, Iron Man in 2008. Right. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, it's odd because since we go back a while, you not only get a history of these characters, but we also see a previous history of the Tesseract, including probably how it actually got to earth in the first place. Well, no, where did it get away? So the Tesseract was with the the Red Skull during World War II. Then it got... I'm not exactly sure how this all works. I, I, maybe I it's, maybe I, it's best... I was, thinking, I was thinking about that too. I'm not entirely sure how the Tesseract ended up, you know, where it ended up you know, throughout all. Wasn't it supposed to be in the ice? I don't remember. So anyway, Tesseract is everywhere. The the gems are everywhere, man. So, but, you know, we find out how it got onto Fury's desk and then essentially in his hands to do the things he needed. So evidently it wasn't I always thought it was on the the plane, but evidently it wasn't on the plane. So there was a a comment that I was reading 
Kevin Feige was explaining, and and it, it makes sense now actually as as you're watching the movie. He says that Danvers is really the first superhero that Fury comes across, right? And and so it yep. kind of changes his trajectory. He might have been this like desk jockey sort of guy, like he is kind of in this movie when the movie starts. The rest of his career, had he not met Carol Danvers, and and learned about these like superhumans and everything like this and suddenly realizes that hey what direction the war could be coming from next isn't necessarily on earth but could be coming from the sky as he mentioned and you know by the end of the movie he's starting to write his avengers protocol and everything which obviously he then picks up and continues once once he finds iron man uh way back in in 2008 well maybe but keep in mind, if you want Secret Invasion to be canon, what makes Nick Fury Nick Fury is that he befriends a bunch of scrolls who turn into super spies and let him have information nobody else in the world can get, which then sure. makes him one of the most powerful people on the planet, and suddenly he starts moving up the ranks. Yes, I, I guess there's that too. I'm I'm just saying that, like, it does sort of but feel yes. like there is an arc. The, the, there's a new direction for Nick Fury as a result of this film, and he meets 100%. the scrolls. He meets he he meets Carol Danvers, and suddenly there's a whole new universe that has opened up for him. I guess as a result of this. Yep, and because Coulson, you know, lets him out that door, he also finds the guy who's going to become his trusted lieutenant for the next however many years and everything and it's a it is really a foundational nick fury movie and really if, yeah. if you think about it in many ways it's it's almost as much his movie as it is hers in that they're together in it almost the entire way and they both have some relatively significant character growth and some of their their history and and mythology explained or set up can I just say that I really liked Brie Larson as Carol Danvers? I, I, uh, there's something about kind of just the way that she portrays this character in there, and and I think it it really hit home for me when I was watching one of the the like featurettes that that's available on Disney Plus, and they talked about the fact that you know they picked Brie Larson to be Carol Danvers because of her ability to balance the character's vast set of powers with her humanity and and there was a a comment th that uh uh kelly sue deconic who wrote those real foundational comic books for captain marvel that we read last week was on set and and she said that you root for her that that Captain Marvel needs to be a character that you root for. You need to she needs to be relatable and you need to root for her. And and I would tell you that as I'm watching this film she seems relatable. Like the things that she's going through be, being told one thing and realizing, "Hey, this isn't really what's going on." And like I'm rooting for her when she when she's like trying to break away from the scrolls i'm rooting for her. when she's going after the scrolls on earth i'm rooting for her when she finally realizes that she's being taken advantage of by the kree 
and starts beating all the Kree up while Just a Girl by No Doubt is playing. I'm rooting for her throughout this entire film. And I and I just, I really thought she actually did a really fantastic job and doesn't get, I think, on the internet specifically, doesn't get a lot of the credit that she deserves. It's not just credit. I think that the 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 internet has made it very clear that Brie Larson simply cannot act. She is the worst actress of all time, etc. And it's it's weird because I will admit that I don't think at all times the character of Captain Marvel comes off as as relatable to me as I would like. But I don't think that's Larson's fault. Because I've seen her in so many movies and she's always good. And I have no doubt that it's partly just because part of who Carol Danvers is, is that she is a military sort of, you know, she's a soldier in the midst of a relatively difficult situation. And so she played it that way. And maybe... Maybe it was played a little bit, um, you know, over it sometimes. I don't know. But I enjoyed the performance. I thought she did a good job. This is not the best movie in the MCU, right? But it's certainly not the worst movie in the MCU. It's a solidly entertaining film. I think everybody does a nice job with their performances. Ben Mendelsohn is spectacular. Larson uh -huh. does a good job. You know, Samuel Jackson does a good job. It's everybody does what they need to do. And when I watched it, I was surprised at how quick it moved, how much action there was, and how you really didn't have any time to really get bored. And for the most part, you were entertained the whole way through. So if you take away from it some of the bigger themes of, you know, like um, feminism and empowerment for women, especially within like the the military and things like that great if you just want to enjoy it as a movie you can still do that and i don't actually get how i suspect people had to really go in determined to hate this movie to be able to yeah. actually get that upset about it you might not yeah, have, you I... might not find it to be the best thing ever but it's very difficult to see how just kind of a buddy cop action movie could be anything other than I'm mildly entertained in a lethal weapon sort of, of of way is about the worst you could get out of it, you know? Yeah. So No, I, I I would definitely agree. Definitely agree. It's it it just it it was good entertainment for the entire time it was on it was on. Yeah. And, and like I said, I think I actually enjoyed it now, watching it again more than I even did the first time. And and I thought, you know, it was a good introduction to the character the first time, like when I when I first saw it. So we've talked a little bit about the backlash to this film, and there is, oh my God, there is a lot of things regarding this film when it came out that the 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 media and the internet and different things, a lot of people focusing on a lot of things and. It just, it seems unfair. Like, I, when it all boils down to it, it, it feels unfair. And, and 
I was reminded when I was looking through just some of the things that happened as a result of this movie coming out. There were there were some photos that were leaked of Carol Danvers, Brie Larson in the kind of Cree looking version of the uniform before she goes and and has Monica Rambo actually recolorize the 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 uniform into the yeah. into into the very beautiful uh you know captain marvel looking thing that that we that we know um it was it was it was dumb there there was a lot of things that were that were called out about that you know in fact kevin feige had to respond saying you know this, most people are savvy enough to see behind the scenes photos and know that they're completely out of context and that there is you know a large number of scenes that get shot on location and photos like this are going to get out and and it's just it's dumb that they're complaining they're they were complaining about her hair not being long enough or being too long based on you know what interpretation of carol danvers you were talking about rotten tomatoes had to completely redo their like mm -hmm. score as far as do you want to see a film because we had a whole bunch of people that didn't like the quote unquote feminist agenda and political correctness that uh, they felt that Brie Larson had spoken out upon talking about underrepresentation of women, people of color and people of disabilities among journalists and film critics. And, and so they, all these trolls went on, on to Rotten Tomatoes and basically just destroyed the the score of the movie even before it had come out and and they had to, they ended up changing their policy to no longer accept reviews and ratings for a film that hadn't been released yet yep well keep in mind that you know this was around that time though too because this was kind of around the time when Kelly Marie Tran played Rose Tico in the Star Wars movies and yep. ended up getting essentially leaving the internet because people were so awful. There were there were a lot of of things happening with the review sites and just with essentially trolls on the internet really feeling their oats as far as what they could get away with and how far they could bully studios and this stuff. The one nice thing at least for Captain Marvel is they got a bit of their money's worth, right? Star Wars did not intend to get they just made a you know a movie that people decided they were angry at because it had women in it there were some substantially feminist elements in this movie and even sometimes where they took a few swipes at the <laughs> trolls you know yeah the the guy who pulls up on the motorcycle and he's like hey you know you'd, you'd look better if you'd smile or, or why wouldn't you give me a smile and then she steals his motorcycle and takes off you know um there are a lot of misogynist dinks in this movie, and they are they are called out for it pretty pretty well by the film. So it does it does give a bit of as well as it gets, but it still stinks that you have this movie that I think you even put in some of the stuff like the actual ratings of people who went to see it. Yeah, were pretty good. People who actually, you know, but the the ratings of people who didn't see it but complained about it on the internet, unfortunately, in some ways, dwarfed 
the actual responses of people who saw the movie. Yeah, I was going to mention that. So there was audiences for the film that got pulled by CineScore gave the an average rating of an A on an A plus to F scale. And it reported that 73% of filmgoers would give it a definite recommend. 58% said that it would meet their expectations, while 35% said it, it exceeded their expectations. Said, unlike Wonder Woman, which was watched by more women than men, Captain Marvel's initial audience was 61% male. And they still got those really great statistics. And, and it, you know, basically... Mm-hmm. Looking at those numbers, there were there was a comment that was made that basically like the Rotten Tomatoes thing allowing people to 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 create reviews and and post stuff before a movie even comes out is ancient 1990s means of collecting opinions online and that it is influenced by ugly internet troll noise. So there there is entirely it, it's unfortunate because it it, it masks I think. A really good movie, a a very good movie, and like all that noise ended up just sort of creating this situation where there was probably a bunch of people who would have who would have seen the movie, would have enjoyed the movie, and now probably didn't go see the movie because of all the all the stupidity that got put online. There was there was comments like criticisms for the first trailer for this movie because the among other things they said the plot presented was unclear confusion while danvers was punching an elderly woman which by the way i think is really funny when you uh when you see it in the context context. of things and and objections to danvers not smiling much and so then the second trailer they kind of over like there was there was criticism that they overcorrected. They showed too many shots of her smiling. They they did they they revealed too much of the plot. So it's like they can't win when it comes to 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 whatever criticisms you want to throw at this movie. But I think you also start to realize just how little influence these trolls actually have. That the internet and Twitter and these sorts of places are kind of an echo chamber where, yes, there's all of this Twitter noise and there's all of these trolls on YouTube doing whatever, but it made one point some billion dollars. Yeah. A a science fiction superhero movie starring a character nobody's ever heard of? How many more people were there that were going to go see that movie that didn't go see that movie? Sure. Yeah, you know? that probably is true. I mean, it made more than the last Batman movie. It made more than than a lot of movies. I I just don't... I think in the end, what probably makes these guys feel even more emasculated is they spend all of this time complaining and trying to make this movie fail, and they sit around crowing online about how it's going to bomb, and then it makes a billion dollars, and it turns out nobody cared about any of their, you know... Their hard work wrecking Rotten Tomatoes and everything. But I will admit that I, I am surprised it got an A cinema score. That's a that's a really I mean to be to be truthful, 
the cinema scores have always been higher than you'd think. Because most people, if they pay to go and watch a movie, they pay 15 bucks, they buy the popcorn, they take their friends. When asked if they liked it, they're going to be generous because they don't want to admit they wasted 15 bucks on something they didn't want to go to, you know? Sure, so sure. they'll go, oh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was fun. And usually it is fun to just get out and spend the evening at the theater and have some popcorn. So, but I think this was a B movie, personally. If I was going to grade it, it was a better than average movie that it's not going to change my life. It's not Godfather or something. It's not Princess Bride. But it's a really solid movie, right? And I think it's great that people came out, they responded, it made a bunch of money. It is unfortunate, though, that a lot of, you know, our people, that comic book people, in many cases decided that they wanted to, instead of helping that movie succeed and drive the narrative forward of greater success for comic movies, they've increasingly been trying to find ways to undercut the movies because they don't like that it's not completely made a certain way or whatever. And I'm afraid that the sort of things that brought Captain Marvel disrepute on the internet and that have happened for others have sort of leaked into popular culture enough that it's helped to really fuel this collapse of comic book movie entertainment over the last few few years. You know, that Marvel has probably had a harder time finding stars. They've had a harder time figuring out exactly how they're going to do plots because they're trying to find ways that won't end up getting all of this negative feedback. And so maybe they're becoming less daring. And when you become less daring and more cautious, you make crappy art. And when you make bad art, people don't pay to go see it, you know? And so I do, I do really worry about that. I think that this is a problem. And Captain Marvel was really one of the first places we saw this sort of virulent feedback against Marvel. But yeah. it's continued almost straight down the line since. Outside yeah. of Endgame, you know, um, you've, had, you've had people angry about so many things. And I think it starts to take its toll on the, on the studio after a while. What did you think of the change of Marvel to Wendy Lawson and having Annette Benning play that character? Like, I, I imagine there was some criti- there was probably some criticism there too. There were so this is you know from from the cranky old comic book standpoint. There's a couple of things that were weird. One of them is that Marvel no longer is a part of the story. And Marvel was the original Captain Marvel, of course, in the comics. The problem is that Marvel's story no longer works in the MCU because we already know there weren't superheroes back before Iron Man started, right? He would have right. been a Kree on Earth doing superhero things, and that would have meant that everybody would have known about aliens, everybody would have known about all this other stuff, everything else. So we knew that that history did not exist. It wasn't there at that point if you're going to start with Captain Marvel. I think what they did is they merged the character of Marvel, who was kind of her mentor and the person who she got her powers from and took her name from, and Helen Cobb, who's the character we read about in the books last week, who's kind yeah. of this female from a previous generation who was a fighter pilot and everything else, 
kind of this spitfire that that led her and inspired her. And they just smushed them together so that they could have one character who fit that that need that they had in the plot of a person who would be a Cree who came to Earth and somehow ended up giving her powers, but also could be the female role model figure that they would be able to then use to drive the plot forward. Makes perfect sense. Still ticked lots of people off. It mm. confused me, I will admit, at first, but didn't particularly bother me. I think the thing that's interesting is Marvel was never a popular character, really, in the Marvel Universe. So most of the people crying in their beers about the fact that somehow Marvel's been changed to a, a different character may have never read a Captain Marvel Marvel story in the first place. Because he died in the early 80s in the death of Captain Marvel and had not been around after that. And even previous to that, he was relatively underused in a lot of ways. So I like the character. It doesn't particularly bother me. Yeah, I, I saw something interesting about this, which was that, you know, obviously we have this idea of who Marvel was in the comics, but they said after struggling to cast the character, co-director Anna Bowden suggested they cast a woman instead and tie her into the Supreme Intelligence storyline by combining those characters. Bowden said that Annette Benning was regal as the Supreme Intelligence and casual and cool and laid back as Wendy Lawson. And Kevin Feige said changing Marvel's gender was important to Danvers' development in the film, giving her a female mentor. And I, and I do. Yep. I think that works in... She works as both those characters. And, and like... This the is the sort of the thing... One, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, the fact that they're using... That the Supreme Intelligence is using you know, Wendy Lawson, this woman that she looks up to as this figure to kind of control her is, is even more sort of kind of nefarious when you look at it, right? It, it it really kind of makes you then really root for for Carol Danvers. Rumor is we'll see a, a comic accurate supreme intelligence in in the Marvels, which would be cool. Because I've always I've always liked the way they display the supreme intelligence normally, which is just this massive, crazy-looking head. But yeah, I I would say this is what when you adapt a book into a movie or a larger source into a smaller one, this happens all the time, where you have to combine things. And in this case, you had a mentor figure, and you had sort of that power transfer that somebody we needed a Cree and we needed a, a a mentor and it was far it works better for the story for that female mentor to just become the Cree than to sort of try and take all of that other mentoring stuff and stick it onto a male Cree warrior with the kind of story they're trying to tell and so it it makes perfect sense i i'm not surprised by it at all it's exactly what happens in in stories all the time when they get adapted um Yon-Rog, Kind of similar. Uh, he was actually, if you remember, he was the guy who was after Marvel's girlfriend back in the very first. Uh -huh. He tried to kill him on Earth so that he could have a chance to try and and uh, make a move on his girlfriend. Um, now he's been updated as a mentor 
for Carol Danvers and sort of as the villain of the story who is the one that eventually she has to defeat. So, and he's always been awful. So the villain part comes completely naturally to him. But yes. the uh, the fact that he now, his story merges more with Carol than with the Marvel is uh, is another of those things that some people would, you know, it, there is kind of that collapsing of the Marvel mythology to where that character just goes away. So we, we've talked a little bit about a secret invasion and I feel like we're, we're not going to end up spending a full episode talking about the secret invasion TV show. Like we did, we spent a, a week looking at comics, but I think we do need to talk a little bit about secret invasion because this movie is kind of that direct lead in to the secret invasion TV show that was released earlier this year. And I'm watching this film and I'm seeing you know, what happens and you have the, you know, Danvers realizes the scrolls aren't the bad people that she thinks they are. And she's, she's willing to help them. They get the Tesseract, all this sort of thing. And she vows to, you know, help them find a, a world and, and as does Fury. And I'm thinking about this and I'm like, so this is the mid nineties. So they presumably had 15 or 20 years before before the snap and mm -hmm. and thanos and they weren't able to find her a world they weren't able to find the scrolls a world to live in that the kree couldn't couldn't find them with or she had even talked about i think near the end of the film talking about going after the kree and making sure that they they wouldn't go after the scrolls anymore so she didn't even do that and like even even if you look at outside of this movie, you have Ronan, who ends up kind of being confronting and and being dealt with with by the Guardians of the Galaxy in the first Guardians film. How did we end up at the end of this film with the Scrolls as this refugee sort of race of shapeshifters to where they ended up being, like basically? invading earth and positioning themselves in key spots all you know as key people throughout the world and and, and you know looking to kind of basically conquer earth i i'm 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 shocked i guess because i didn't remember how straightforward this kind of line was basically between captain marvel and secret invasion should have been nope. but it, they don't feel like they're the the same at all yeah well i mean secret invasion the plot is essentially the plot of the comics which is the scrolls infiltrate earth replace key people and some superheroes and then attempt to you know take over everything the really two ways you can think of it is either fury got played because the scrolls are always awful and they've always been awful and that's thoroughly comic accurate. Or you can say that they missed a real opportunity to do something different here. Because, yeah, at the end of that, you had the Skrulls as a race that was a refugee group. They needed to be saved and taken away. How in all that time she just gave up evidently on finding a planet for them or something and didn't bother? Because how did they end up back on Earth? She had them all on a ship. 
and was taking yeah. them someplace. Yeah. So at some point she just brings them back and she's like, yeah, sorry, dumping you guys off. And then I'm heading out again, right? Yeah. So it it's just very strange that I don't think those two stories go together very well. They don't they don't fit well. And the fact that you've got the same characters in many cases means that it gets even more confusing, you know? So Yeah. Yeah. I'm I am not a fan of Secret Invasion. I think that was a a show that maybe tried a number of things but did not succeed in in the ways that I would have liked it to. So but yeah. You you know my it, opinion about continuity and just like, you know, Mar Marvel has been kind of the ones that have figured out the way, unlike DC, to keep this continuity thing, no matter what they end up doing, there's somehow an explanation that, that kind of makes sense, the, the, this through line. But I really, like, the MCU and, and Captain Marvel, the movie, and Secret Invasion, it feels like there's a lot that happened in between those that had that that needed some explanation that we didn't get in the TV show to to really sort of make things add up because right now they don't I, I'm left with a lot more questions about Secret Invasion after watching this than I had just watching the TV show. Yeah, I mean, I mean it makes sense in the way they explain it, which is Carol takes off to find them a new home finds out that in the galaxy it is more difficult than she thought to find a livable planet that's willing to welcome a Skrull refugee group. And then eventually has to bring them back to Earth, at which point they start working for Fury and working with Fury, and he turns them into his own special force. They continue to bring more and more people secretly down to Earth, and then eventually you have the invasion. So what you have is a, a failure and a betrayal, to perceived at least on the part of Fury and Captain Marvel, and then a population that increasingly decides that this is their only option, and so they decide to take over. So. That does sort of make sense when you put it that way. It's not satisfying. It's not a satisfying no. inclusion, because at the end of this movie, we want to feel sympathetic to the scrolls. I and, did feel I did feel you know, sympathetic to the scrolls. And we also want to believe that our heroes are not just lying to people and then leaving them sitting around in a in a holding pattern for 30 years or whatever. Yeah. So because of that, there's there's not a great it, it makes sense, but it's not a particularly good story that connects Captain Marvel to to Secret Invasion. We've got we got a little bit of secret invasion discussion in there. I, I did want to do that because, like I said, it, this felt like it should be the natural place to talk about secret invasion a little bit because of some of the characters that we saw and that sort of thing. But yeah, it, I'm left even less satisfied with secret invasion now than I was watching it week to week. Yep. And of course, Captain Marvel's no longer the strongest person in the Marvel universe. Because yes. that young scroll girl now has all her powers, plus every other power of every other hu oh, hero in the Marvel Universe. So, yes. she's be, distinctly be, the most powerful. 
Beware Amelia Clark. Sorry. You, yeah. you just <laughs> beware. All right. I've got some tidbits and some references to the comics that we can talk about here. First up, principal photography for this film began on March 19th in Los Angeles at Sony Studios under the working title Open World. And what was interesting is actually have some information about why they picked open world executive producer jonathan schwartz stated that open world was chosen because he likened the film to an open world video game that could go in many directions which is how the production felt about captain marvel's story at the time so i i love the fact i love that i love that uh working title so we talked about we, we talked about like when the film takes place, there was a bunch of things in the nineties. It seems to be 1995 is when this film kind of takes place it, when, when, when you're looking at that. Um, I think we, we haven't talked about goose. I think we have to talk about goose, the flurkin cat that's called goose. The name goose is actually a reference to Nick goose Bradshaw from the movie Top Gun fighter pilots makes perfect mm -hmm. sense. Right. But Brie Larson is allergic to cats. So her scenes involving goose were filmed with a puppet or a computer generated VFX cat. Really? Yes. And there were, there were four different felines, professional cat actors that were used as goose oh, yeah. throughout filming the primary one, there's actually a three-minute vignette about him. Uh, Reggie is his name, but there was also Gonzo, Archie, and Rizzo were the three other cats that also played Goose throughout the film. This also, by the way, is another one of the things that drove longtime Marvel fans a little bit nuts. Fury's eye and Goose... Is that Fury lost his eye to a cat. Yeah. Which, I you know, the, yeah. the idea being it had been a secret for so long, and, and in actual fact, there's probably no good reason to have ever said why he lost it. That's, But you would assume it was in an insanely heroic effort and something that, that probably saved countless lives and was ridiculously badass. And the fact that he just got scratched while petting a cat is not where you'd want that to go. And now the fact that that then becomes canon is also one of those things where every time you see Samuel Jackson's eye patch now, it takes you back to the fact that he got beaten up by a cat and lost his eye. And that is, that is, I think, something that was a little bit weird. I, I found that a little weird. So to prepare for the role of Captain Marvel, Brie Larson trained four days a week for nine months learning judo, boxing, and wrestling. She also visited Nellis Air Force Base and met with active duty airmen, including Brigadier General Janine Levitt and Thunderbirds pilot Major Stephen Delbago, who evidently died in a plane crash uh, after, after their meeting and who the movie pays tribute to during the credits. Mm -hmm. Uh, so she actually, like some of the, the fighter pilot moves and 
you know, doing a barrel roll. She actually knew how it felt to do a barrel roll. She actually went on some some uh, some runs with some of those fighter pilots and was given the call sign Sparrow while she was at Nellis Air Force Base. There you go. She also did some uh, YouTube videos of things like her pulling Jeeps around and stuff like this. And many of them a little a little bit crazy. But I think the the simple fact is that pretty much all of the Marvel actors really do have to work out and get in shape for their roles. They are they are in very good shape by the time that they actually get on stage. Yeah. So the makeup and prosthetics needed to portray Talos took quote a couple of hours to apply, according to Ben Mendelsohn. And and so I I just like the fact that there was actual like prosthetics and makeup and it wasn't just CGI that to do that. And in fact, it was interesting. The filmmakers used real world animal biology, particularly octopus videos as a reference for the look of the scrolls transformation. So that's that to me seemed really interesting. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Uh, obviously, we have Anna Bowden as the first female director of a of a Marvel Studios movie. We also had uh, Pinar Toprak was signed on to compose the film's score, making her the first woman to score an MCU film to, to this point. So that was... I, I loved that there were not only some really big things happening in front of the camera, there were some really big things happening for for women behind the camera as well similar to the way they did things in black panther where there were yeah a lot of a lot of black folks who had prominent roles uh, all throughout the production same thing here i think bowen actually was at the time set the record for the highest gross by a movie directed or co-directed by a by a woman only to be like completely smashed by greta gerwig earlier this summer so yes. who, who now has by far the highest of a movie directed solely by a woman. So two, two other small things. One is, so Samuel L. Jackson was the age 25 years for the film. And it was the first time Marvel has done this for an entire film. And uh, so that, that was really, really weird seeing him that very first time. And then you just sort of get used to it as the rest of the movie goes but yeah, it was it was rather surprising seeing him look as young as he did in in this film. And you know, talking about effects through that, I think the special effects in this were solid all the way through. I yes. liked the way they I liked the way they did Captain Marvel's powers. I liked the way that they did a lot of the the shape changing and the like with the scrolls. The de aging was done really well on both Coulson and on uh, Fury. So yeah, they did. They did a nice job, just all the way through. The uh, the special effects never took me out of the story, which is, I guess, all you can really ask. Right. So in January 2019, a cloud the crowdfunding platform GoFundMe announced a Captain Marvel challenge, a campaign to purchase tickets and refreshments for girls and chaperones at the Greater Los Angeles chapter of Girls Inc. 
the campaign inspired by the success of Black Panther Challenge, which raised over $50,000 for children to watch Black Panther, came after Brie Larson suggested on Twitter that there should be a, a similar campaign for Captain Marvel. I hadn't heard this about Black Panther. I I love the fact that they did that, and I'm really glad they did that for, for Captain Marvel as well. I think that's amazing. Pretty cool. All right, some references to the comics. There was a big one in, I mentioned the feature at Kelly Sue DeConnick, who wrote that 2012 run of Captain Marvel, was a huge influence on on the character in the comics and ended up being a huge influence on Carol Danvers in the movie. She was actually on set and a sounding board for questions and ideas from, from the casting crew throughout uh, the, movie, the movie's film production. So... That that was really interesting to see, and and they 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 talked uh, very highly of having her around, and and really enjoyed her perspective mm -hmm. on the character. So while Monica Rambo is choosing the new colors for Carol Danvers' suit, we see many references: the red and yellow suit, the colors worn by DC's Captain Marvel, currently known as Shazam. A black and gold suit, the color of Carol Danvers' Miss Marvel suit, and a white and green suit, the classic Kree armor suit, colors in the comics. So in addition to the three suits, Jamie McElvey, who designed Carol Danvers' original Captain Marvel suit that we saw in the 2012 uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick run, actually praised the movie's costume design for so closely adhering to his work so it, it is it is something when you create something iconic in the comics and then they do such a, a fantastic job adhering to it and recreating it adapting it onto the big screen yeah and marvel's done a great job really with all of the costumes and adapting them but there was so little adapting that even really needed to be done with this one Really, they just needed to not screw it up, which yeah. for Hollywood is an astonishingly low bar that they relatively regularly trip over. So yes. I'm I'm happy to say they did not. They did a nice job with the costume. A nod to the original character of Captain Marvel is the combat helmet she wears during her missions and in outer space. The helmet features an iconic mohawk haircut. Uh which is something that was that Captain Marvel was often portrayed wearing in the comics. <laughs> yeah, we was... talked about that last week, that the Kree helmets, the original Kree helmets, all have that fin, kind of like a Yondu-style fin at the top of them. So Yeah. I so so yeah, that definitely definitely saw that in the in the movie. And then McElvey turned that into the Mohawk for her. So that's actually that's actually part of the costume that he redesigned as well. So one final note, in the movie, Carol refers to Monica as Lieutenant Trouble. In the comics, Lieutenant Trouble is a young girl named Kit Renner, who is Captain Marvel's biggest fan and later becomes her friend. So I did I did not know Lieutenant Trouble, mm -hmm. but that is something I saw that I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah. Okay, well, I think we've reached that point of the day we've read some comics we've watched a movie 
If you had to pick one of them, which would you pick? The relaunch of Ms. Marvel as Captain Marvel in 2012 by Kelly Dudesnot, Kelly Sue DeConnick with that McElvey costume redesign, numbers one through six, that first uh, series we read, or this movie, Captain Marvel movie from 2019. Oh, this doesn't seem fair, <laughs> if I'm being honest, because I feel like there isn't a Captain Marvel movie in 2019 if there isn't the Captain Marvel comics in 2012. And so, like, the fact that they, they brought in Kelly Sue DeConnick during production of the film and everything, I loved the story from the comics, but I think I found the story in the movie more satisfying i think maybe because there isn't time travel it's just basically just a more straightforward kind of two warring factions that are using this pawn in between uh to try and settle the settle the score i i i want to pick the comics i think i enjoyed the movie just a little bit more but i the comics are so so important. I I don't know how you, I don't know how you can pick how you can pick the movie because the the movie doesn't exist without the comics. Well, the problem is though, you'll always be able to say that that without yeah. the comics, none of this is going to exist. So at that point, right. we have to pick Fantastic Four number one every week and just it's it's returning champion ad infinitum. Yes. So. Because of that, you know, I, I get where you're coming from. And it, I think that, yeah, even from us talking, there was enough confusion and the frustration with time travel and everything that I think it sounds like the movie hit better for you. And that's, yeah, that's great. I like the comics better, I will say. And my reasoning is, I think the movie's a fun popcorn movie. But I think that those six comic books are a tour de force in how to build a hero. And the first time I read them, I didn't think that much about it. But going back and actually reading through them, the way the comics are constructed, the way the story and the characters are brought in, just how thoughtful everything that's used, the time travel, the way the choices are handled, I think that's just a really spectacular comic series. And it resonated for me in ways that the movie didn't. But yeah. enjoyed both of them. I, I would say that, you know, in, in terms of just which one's which one's more fun to sit and hang out with for two hours, probably yeah, I would say the movie. Because it is a it's a fun kind of just things explode and there's action and you know, Brie Larson zooming around doing cool things. But when it comes to just really sitting down and thinking about them. I really appreciate those comic books. I think they were, they were well-crafted. Yeah. I, I think you, you really saw a character come into their own in that, in that first set of books there. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I definitely agree with that. All right, Dan, before we wrap things up, where are we headed next? So next week, we are going to get ready for 
the the big daddy of Marvel movies, the finale of this huge saga that we've been building to for years now. Avengers Endgame, two weeks from now. Next week, some stories that kind of lead into or talk about or resonate with either into or out of Endgame. So we're going to do an actual one-to-one comparison, which we've never done before, because there is actually a, a group of books called Endgame Prelude, which really covers a lot of the same stuff the movies does. We're also going to look at Guardians of the Galaxy, number one through six from 2019. And what if volume one, number five from way back in 1977. So we'll probably actually deal with that what if first, because it's the earliest one, and then go from there. So, but in any case, some interesting stuff. Yeah, so the the hook for Guardians of the Galaxy is what it what is the world like after Thanos? And maybe a world without Thanos is worse off than a world with Thanos. So I'm very interested in seeing what that might look like. And the what if seems really interesting talking about what happens if if Captain America doesn't disappear during World War II, what, what that looks like as well. So there's some some really interesting stories that kind of tangentially talked about aspects of of Endgame that we're going to be uh, looking at in a couple weeks. So I think I think these are some really interesting stories. Definitely invite you to uh, read them with us and then join us next week when we talk about them. Absolutely. All right. And with that, that is going to wrap it up for us for this week. We'd like to thank you all for joining us. If you're new to the podcast, please consider subscribing on your podcast player of choice. That way you'll get each new episode as soon as it's released. Whether you're new to the show or you've been with us from the beginning, we'd love to get your thoughts on the show or on Captain Marvel. If you watched the movie this week, you can send us those comments via email. That address is comments at comicsovertime.com. We're also available via social media on Twitter at Comics Over Time, as well as Blue Sky at Comics Over Time. Dan, I found myself really enjoying Captain Marvel. Likely more now than I did the first time I watched it because I now had some of that context of Carol Danver, Danvers herself. And while and I'm really looking forward to talking about the Marvels in a couple weeks. Oh man, Endgame. Yeah. The next two weeks talking about Endgame is going to be really exciting, and I'm definitely looking forward to doing that. I have not watched this in a long time, and I am also looking forward to it. Well, uh, we will see. One of those shows that I've watched it quite a few times, but excited to do so again. All right. Until next week. Take care, everybody. See you later, folks. <laughs>